Hello friends, welcome back to Inside Success. Today I'm joined by Adam Gibson of the CEO of 17 Oranges. From the company name, you may think this man owns a boutique greengrocers with limited stock. <laughs> True. But no, in fact, he is trying to help transform your digital experience. Is that a good way of putting it? That's a fair way of putting it, yeah. That's quite nice. Absolutely, yeah. I like um, the greengrocers as well. <laughs> and you like the greengrocers part. Okay. Yeah. So, how do I know you? So... Best way of putting it, we randomly live in the same street. Yep. We've always said hello to each other when passing. Always been polite. Always been polite, as neighbours do, until one day we randomly met on a dog walk. And it's a dog walk, not of, a, of dogging or anything like those lines. <laughs> not round here. Not round here. Um, but we were on the country lanes, which is random. And as always, I'm in work mode. So the first thing I asked you was, what do you do for a job? Mm-hmm. And if I remember right, your terminology was uh, that you were a CTO in HR and recruitment technologies. Yeah, close enough. I think that's roughly what you said to me. Close enough, yeah. And then you asked me what I did, and then you tried running away really quickly. <laughs> Trying to escape work, don't we? Trying to escape work, and then you run into a recruiter. I'm, I'm on a dog walk. I'm on a dog walk. <laughs> I don't want someone selling me recruitment services. Yeah. So, let's go straight into it. So, Adam, about your current business, 17 Oranges. What I'd like to know is the what you do, how you do it, and why, and the why can't be a financial Game. Right, okay, that's pretty clear. So 17 came together to offer services around the consultancy piece, digital transformation. For Was that client. mainly in recruitment and HR initially? So recruitment, exec search, um, most of the guys inside the organisation have sort of serious sort of tenure in that space. We, we've lived in it, so we understand it from an operational delivery point of view. So it makes good sense um, for us to, to sit in that space. But we do have other clients, other clients in manufacturing, uh, one in retail uh, and um, Online platforms as well. We, we, we've worked sports with platforms. We've got one of them. Yeah, we've got a sports platform. We've got two actually. We've got a, a venture sports platform and a, a football, uh, a football um, a rewards platform. We, we've worked with in the past. Okay. Um, so yeah, it's quite diverse for us. Okay. So that's one part of it. Mm-hmm. And what's the other two pieces? So we've got um, the, the second part is we've got local developers as well. So we've worked with clients to build out products for those guys. Um, integrations for those guys and services for those guys as well. So we typically get guys come up with, oh, I've got this fantastic idea. I want to see what it looks like from a, a product point of view. And it's typically the conversation, oh, do you know, I want to build an app. I've got a really cool idea. And it's like, it's going to cost me 20 grand and we're off to the market. It's like, yeah, around that, maybe a little bit more. Yeah. But then you've got to walk them through sort of what the whole model looks like for, for the development activities and the run, run scenarios as well. So um, we've put together... Uh, yeah, blowing our own trumpet, a, a really sort of first-class development, architecture, knowledgeable team in the UK. And we've got some guys overseas as well. So, um, yeah, we help build build product. Okay. So how do you operate? How does it work? So if I was a customer coming to you with, say, a, an idea on an app, what's the kind of starting process for you as a business? So we run... It depends on the client at the end of the day and how how they work. So... Our typical approach is we've, we've developed this system where um, we call it sort of pens and crayons. Okay. So lots of, lots of guys and girls uh, rock up with a massive PowerPoint slide deck and, and you sit there and you, you go through some, some formal structure. And it can be overwhelming. I mean, especially for someone who doesn't understand technology, they've got the vision and the entrepreneurial sort of spirit and they know where they want to go. Yeah. They just don't know how to get it onto, onto paper. And the last thing they need is someone sitting there being all formal and like this, 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 this. 
So what we what we've tended to do is, it sounds really cheesy, but a, a big old roll piece of paper. Yeah. Um, we give the guys and girls, here's a pen, here's a crayon, whatever it may be, and we, we map out their thought processes, be it the, the product or the solution they want to build, on that bit of paper. Normally with a cup of coffee and a donut. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's great because it sort of brings us all down a level to, to the right language, their language, and it helps me understand and the team understand what they're trying to get at. And it takes the pressure away from them uh, as well. So am I using the right words? Am yeah. I explaining myself clearly? And suddenly you end up after... Uh, a, an hour or two with a with a fantastic long piece of paper um, with lots of scribbles all over it um, capturing everything that they've talked about um, and that's lovely because you sit back at the end and go actually that's that's really credible and, okay. you, and you can see their their face it's like I can I can actually articulate it now which is which is cool so you're trying to humanize tech yeah yeah there's lots of talk about sort of technology sort of dumbing down the language to, to work with the client, I think it's the wrong thing to say. I mean, we all talk naturally and normally. Mm -hmm. Just be yourselves at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, and that's worked for us. And it's worked for the clients we've got as well. And how, how old is 17 Oranges? Crumbs, we're in our third year. Okay. We're in our third year. So we've survived the first two, which is fantastic. Teams come together. Um, our operational practices are, are nice and maturing in the right direction. And we're in that lovely sort of third year period where you're looking to scale, reach out, do new things as well. So yeah. Third. And the team is eight, did you say, at the moment? We're eight. Yeah, we're, we're eight at the moment. Uh, predominantly the UK. Uh, we're all home working. Or uh, home workers. Uh, we're, we're, we're technical nomads. Sounds posher. <laughs> <laughs> That's a better sell, isn't it? Um, so we've got guys in, in the top of Scotland, down to, down to Dorset, um, We've recently recruited a guy who wants to work in the US. Okay. So he's over there for, for a bit. Um, but we all come together online, obviously, so that's... It doesn't, you don't have to be anywhere to be everywhere now. No, no, not, not at all. And actually, it's, um, it's worked out really well for us. So I'm pretty, pretty pleased with that. And why did 17 Oranges come about? Um, what is your purpose, Adam? What is my purpose? <laughs> oh, crumbs. It's a question, isn't it? This is a therapy session. This is it? therapy, yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, I get, if I'm being honest and transparent, the, the, there's two things. One is that I've always had a burning and an itch to start our own organisation and uh, to do things the way I want to do things. I've been super lucky in my career to work with some amazing people, some leadership, some mentors, etc. And they've helped mould me and, and grow me to what I am today. Um, so 17 for me, emotionally, is me putting a spin on that with respect paid to the past, which I think is super cool. Um, coming outside of operational roles, CIO, CTO roles for, for large organisations into, into your own piece. I guess the second thing it was done is allowed me to, to reach out and, and it sounds weird, but bigger than what I was. Mm -hmm. So meet more diversity as far as people's concerned, look at new challenges, etc. Um, have an opportunity to go and play in different fields. Yeah, okay. And it's that, this is going to sound cheesy, but it's almost like that pioneering sort of thing. So I don't quite understand that. But going through their target operation, well, I'm getting an idea. Oh, I really love that. Let's go and work together on that. Um, so I guess it's it's the the drive me in the first instance, and the second thing is let's go and explore, um, which is the drivers for it. So I think from knowing you a period of time now, there's two things I picked up from we've talked before about your business, hmm. and one was when you're doing your hiring, you're as interested in what they can deliver as much as their own life and what they actually do outside of it so it's not all about work 
I think you said that to me before, that some of the people you hire very much say, unless they've actually got their own hobbies, life outside of work, yeah. you don't want them just being the coder, for example. Yeah, no, I've, I've had that for, for all my career. Um, you, you need a break. Okay, what we do is it, it can be super enjoyable, but super intense as mm -hmm. well. And you see guys and girls getting burnt out quite, quite quickly. So I've always had it in, in every conversation, even 17 Oranges and, and other organizations I've worked for, is I want to understand that the individual can switch off or at least have a mechanism to switch off and enjoy. For me, like the dog walking or the motorbikes or something like that, where you can just be in your own space. Um, so that's super important. So talking about the younger generation, let's flip back, let's go back a few years, to the Adam at school. Oh my God. So we are, the podcast is about, obviously, people in business, longevity mm -hmm. and learning that nothing happens in overnight and it's not a five-minute path to success. True. What was the 16-year-old Adam like? It's a question for my mother, really. Um, <laughs> the, what, was my, what was the 16? Oh, my word. Uh, probably a handful. Um, Ever-ready bunny. I was always busy, always one way or another, um, doing something, thinking about something. Could never sit still. Um, Were you academic? No, 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 not at all. Um, and I'm, I'm not now, I don't think. I don't, in the traditional sense. In the, I'm not academic in the traditional sense. Um, I'm more of a doer, common sense, um, and get on with things. Um, never went to university sort of scenario. That wasn't, that wasn't, for, wasn't for me. So what was, your, what was your dream job <clears throat> from coming out of school? What, what was in your head at the time? Oh, um, not this. Not this. So uh, I love the outdoors. Um, and as growing up, you're influenced by the, what's around you, aren't you? Very strongly. So um, my parents had friends with farms. So I spent a lot of time in, the, in, a, in a farm and driving an old Land Rover. And um, actually, it's really weird, re reminiscing slightly, because you, you, you never really appreciate when you're in it. Does mm -hmm. that make sense? It's yep. like when you're doing it. Um, so I, I, for the first few years, I want to be a farmer. Yeah, I wanted. To, I wanted to I see you like Clarkson. Yeah, I'm getting there. I'm getting there. <laughs> um, but I love the. I, I just love the culture and and yeah, it just fits me. And then I wanted to be a vet, so I trained to. I trained a little bit for my A levels. Um, went to work in, in the vets, um, in the vets world for a bit, and that didn't quite work out. And I, I remember thinking, I love animals and I love all, all that piece, but. Coming back to the academic piece, it's like there's seven years worth of training for that, and it's it's genuinely hard work to learn everything. And you're dealing with lives at the end mm -hmm. of the day, so I took a decision. It's like that's not for me. Um, so yeah, I, I was I was geared for the outside and and sort of animal practice. So what then led you then suddenly from fixing animals and the farm and the outdoor life to finding your route into technology? Um, Serendipity, luck, I guess. I guess the, the, how did I get into technology? So I bought my first house when I was 19, which meant I had to go and get a job. Um, I was lucky enough to get a job with an engineering. How old are you now? Just out, just for the, uh, the people at home? 49, heading 49. Head on to 50. 49. Apparently I look 43. Well, there you go. <laughs> but the camera won't tell me that. Um, well, the camera says to me, I'm, I look like 53 half the time yeah, now. Yeah, I don't care, I'm happy. <laughs> um, 
yeah, so I, I took on the first my first role, and um, so I had to get a job, obviously. So I got a local job working for an engineering organisation, and I ended up working in their design team. Um, and part of that was building out some designs for what they were doing, but also a lot of math and calculations. And I remember being old enough that the first computer came into that office. And I remember the... I remember what was the, it? Can you remember what it was? It was a 486 DXT. So that was... I, I do remember it um, explicitly. Um, and I remember my boss at the time turning around and saying, Adam, don't touch that. And if anyone needs to get to it, ask me or the guy who looks after the computers. And I thought, oh, I'm not sure about this. Um, so typically in Adam's style, I went out and bought the same computer. And at the time, it was a lot of money, a lot of money for us. I can it, imagine. It was a proper, a proper investment. So I went off and did that. I learned all about it. And my crowning moment was being let loose on this thing in the office. And the, my, my boss at the time said, oh, I didn't know you could do that. And I was educating him, if that makes, mm-hmm. that makes sense. And then I took it one stage further. It's like all these, and this is like pre-Excel to some extent, this is all these calculations you can do, you can, you can, we can automate that. Mm-hmm. Like, so I sat down and, and, and worked out a small program that basically did all the automation for the calculations for them. And then uh, we bought the company's first uh, plotter right? and it plotted something on a, on a screen. And it was like, that's amazing. It was Revolutionary like, in their eyes. It yeah. was a, and this is what I started, it's like, that's a USP. The sales guys loved it because suddenly they're going into, into their pitches with not a piece of paper um, drawn out by hand. It was a piece of technology. Um, and whether it's a good thing or a bad thing, it's like, oh, that's done on a computer. That must be right. So it gave them an this edge. Is, this is pre-internet, a pre-internet era as well. Yeah, we were, we were just tipping into the internet coming through. So it was, it was this newfangled thing that was like, this is, this is NASA. Right, this is NASA, from me, NASA. So that, sort of, that tipped me into the technology piece, and I ended up being moved out of the engineering team into the, effectively what would be a technology team now, and seeing that for a bit. So, so it's a dark cupboard, one person, and that was it. <laughs> yeah, dark cupboard, one cupboard to another cupboard. But it was, I think the, the crux of it was, I'm, and all my life has been the same, even when I was younger, is there's a problem over there, and it's like, well, maybe if I do this over here, I can solve it. And it doesn't matter if it's building houses or, or there's, a, there's a better way of doing things, potentially. Yeah. Um, and technology was the enabler, the, the, the Lego box, that allowed me to do a lot of these things. Um, so that's how I got started uh, in the world of tech. So how did you then fall into recruitment? Which, again, engineering to recruitment isn't a natural yes. fit. So the, 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 the quick potted history is I worked for them for, for a number of years, got to a point where I couldn't go any further. I was then headhunted to work for a development company in Cambridge. Worked from those guys a little bit. Um, then was posted in the US. Spent a lot of time in the US growing those organizations. And that's, that's operational technology, be it business as usual technology as, as well, which was, which was fascinating at the time. Um, so what do you classify for uh, what is business as usual? Give us a, a real simplified synopsis. So, so um, uh, bottom line technology. So what you run your business on. Okay. So, um, yeah, it's... For your laptops or purely for, software. Do you or... know from, from, your, from the, the, the pieces of wet string that go into your organisation, your homes, to the laptops you work on, to the pieces of software you utilise. So all these things that, that you, you enable your business with sort of naturally. So your foundation stuff. Yeah, yeah. So everything bottom line cost the business um, to make you operationally fit. 
Um, there's a lot of that. Mm-hmm. So I got a lot of experience in doing in, in all those sort of services. And this is not sort of a transformational piece. This is like yeah. you'd buy lots of pieces and they kind of worked in silos. So I did that for, for a number of years. And then I got poached to work for another organization uh, in Cambridge that was building out um, in the telecoms world, mobile technology world. So um, they were building out new chipsets and uh, sort of IP, etc. And I was super fortunate to join that organization. They put me in a reasonably senior role. Yeah. And it was one of those roles where your head was above the parapet. So you're either going to get it shot or you're going you're gonna to go for it. And typically, I, you run, 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 run. We grew that organization um, and that uh, went global. I mean, it was fantastic. I was working in Korea, in China, in Japan, in, in Europe. Spent a lot of my life in an airplane delivering technology and technology solutions around the world. Um, which was, a, for me personally, a, yeah, it was a massive experience. You got to meet new cultures yeah. and, and look at things in a different way, if that, if that makes sense. So hugely valuable, hugely valuable for me as an individual. And then um, we got acquired uh, by Motorola. Motorola said, oh, there's a lovely piece of technology sitting in, the, in, in Cambridgeshire, deepest, darkest Cambridgeshire, um, that's servicing the organisation. They acquired them and I got sucked into... Into the into the into the Motorola machine, um, worked in M and A and all those bits and pieces. And then this was as mobile devices in Motorola was at, at its peak. Yeah. Um, and it just started to, to crest, and we could see this cresting and, and, and coming down the end. Um, so we got to the point where we were making a number of layoffs, naturally letting people go, letting my teams go. And yeah, I sat down with um, my VPO reported into it. Probably probably time for me to go. I, had a small team of, well, not small team, 90, 110 okay. people. So we let these yeah, guys yeah, yeah. go. So, well, actually, it's probably time for me to move on as well. Mm. And that was okay. That was a nice conversation, uh, very professional. And I said, I said, well, you know, I, I, I've never produced a CV. <laughs> it's like I've never, I've never pulled this thing together, which is it's really interesting as to where we are now because do you actually need a CV? Is, no, and I, I believe if, you know, as we talk about, personal representation, uh, social media. Let's be honest here, LinkedIn is your live document and CV. Mm-hmm. So as long as you're current on there, updating as you go, yeah. and you're sensible in what you're posting, you're going to get found, mm. and people will have a very good understanding and interest in what you're doing, Yeah, if they want to. No, that makes sense. And, it, and if you, for me, I'm, I love networking, I love people. Mm-hmm. So if you get connected to the right people and build those relationships it just follows. Correct. It's, it's, so that's been super kind to me. Anyway, I got introduced to, to a exec search company. So Adam, go and talk to these guys over here. And I, I wanted to step away from technology and the silicon world and the mobile world. That's, that's um, part of my life. Um, and I want to try something new. So I looked at automotive, professional services, and I stayed away from retail because retail was just looked like a lot of hard work. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I met this, uh, this exec search firm and met their uh, CIO headhunter, had a really lovely conversation with them, and three weeks passed, and they said, well, look, we're a, we're a, a growing global brand. We could do with uh, a bit of a support and assistance over here. Would you, would you care to join us? And I'm like, well, that's interesting. It's different. It was different, yeah. And it was one of those things in life where I'd, I'd come from a really fast-paced startup 
um, international role into a larger 60,000 enterprise business, um, very fast paced again, and into uh, professional services space, which has its own pace. It's, it it yeah. runs at a different... So when I looked at it on paper, I almost had that sort of knee jerk, oh, is that right? Is, is that right for me? But I, I saw some mentors I'd, I've noticed. Adam, you asked for this, and actually it's really good for you. You've yeah. done this over here, go and do this over here. And actually it timed really nicely, personally, from a family point of view. So um, young kids growing up, not so much international travel. Um, it kind of fits all the blocks. And it was lovely because it, it was a, a lovely brand, um, fantastic individuals in there. And what was the company? Uh, Odgers Burnson. Um, fantastic brand, fantastic I'll people. I'll put my invoice in for the plug later. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and to be given the opportunity to work with them to help mature the technology stacks, etc. Um, that's quite humble, actually. It was like, yeah, yeah. okay, that was, that was a, a good... So it leads on quite nicely. So we've gone dog walking. We've realised we're in the world of similar circles. Yeah, I understand the circle. <laughs> uh, yours was very here. Mine is very there. Um, obviously, I went through the buyout of my business last year. Mm -hmm. And um, I came to you and said, Adam, I'm looking at a new CRM and a way of automating my business. And you probably looked at me and went, this is going to be hard work. And this is going <laughs> to, this might take forever. Um, but no, luckily you said, okay, let's, let's talk about it. And what we wanted to kind of touch on today, which is something that's obviously very IT led on a, on, a, on, a, on a phrase, which is a SOT, and I'm going, what's a SOT, Adam? And then you've got its source of truth. Mm -hmm. And obviously, once you listen to that wording and you start sitting in other presentations about technology, source of truth word is used a lot. Yeah. So we go back to what you said about the uh, taking a new customer with the pen and crayon and a massive bit of paper. It's exactly what you worked we, with us. Yeah, we did that. I remember, yeah, yeah. So it's, you're, not, you're, not, you're not full of shit and you're not lying about your processes, yeah. which is good. But for the purpose of people who have never heard the term source of truth, what, what is that to you and what's the, kind of, what's the purpose of it for looking at what we're doing on technology? Well, well, first off, we've got to cover off. It's like you, you, you got this out of me on several dog walks. That's true. <laughs> um, I had to build you up to the point. You, you build me up. No, it's fantastic, actually. Um, and it's super cool, actually, sort of working with you guys for a bit. So, source of truth. Um, oh, God, how to, how to, oh, I've got me a bit of paper. Now you got me talking about work, haven't you? I'd rather have just a natter. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like sitting with friends. Counseling's over. We're now into the hard stuff. Yeah, yeah, it's a source of truth. So, there's a couple of things with it. One, one is that. Um, Lots of organizations, as they grow organically, have multiple sources of information um, dotted around the business one way or another. Very historic in the way it is. A piece of technology, piece of information, piece of data in this area. Um, and what you end up with is, is multiple sources of truth that's different truth across the business at the end of the day. And that can lead to challenges in terms of company growth, company understanding and silos of, of teams and, and processes in, in firms. Um, and it can start really small, but as you grow and scale as an organization, it can actually really become quite systemic and, and, and quite problematic. So what we tend to look at once we've mapped out sort of, once we understand your target operating models of business and we map the technologies you understand it with the crayons, et cetera, underneath that, we start to understand where your sources of truth sit and how you can bring them together in, in one simple exercise. 
um, and make it easily accessible, which is probably more important than anything else to the, the individuals that, that work with the, the source of truth or the data, yeah. et cetera. Um, so in a nutshell, it's, 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 uh, the, the source of truth is, is where all your guys and girls go to and trust. Deploy Recruitment Group provides fast and reliable recruitment across the UK and overseas. We source, screen and deliver quality skilled individuals to meet your business requirements. Using our extensive database, market knowledge, network and latest software, we provide access to specialised talent and address your industry's core challenges. Plan, supply and deliver safely. For more information, please visit our website, deployrecruit.com. I'll put it from a business owner point of view, mm. and I'll be perfectly honest about working with people in technology. Yeah. I don't like it. Yeah. I... I won't swear this one. I hate it. I would have put another word you right in front swear. I, I, I fucking hate it, because all I see is you go back to your conversation start, mm. which is very much, I want to build an app, is the scenario. Mm. And you go, and they go, how much is that? And they go, oh, it's about 20 grand. Yeah. And then they go, that 20 grand then turns into 30 grand, the 40 grand, and then it turns into a yeah. bottomless pit. And by the time you've got to the end of it, you hate the idea of even having an app in the first, it, 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 to finish with. Yeah. Because the processes have you're been... Burnt on, you're burnt You're burnt on it, and then you're going, well, how much more is it going to cost to change this yeah. later on? Yeah. Um, so I'll go to the scenario. We were looking for a brand new CRM, and the workflow process you went through us is very much, the source of truth for us was the new CRM. Mm. Um, and then from the experience working with you and the crayons and everything else was you then gave us the different elements and the different processes of what we wanted to achieve to feed into this one funnel. That's yeah. a good way of putting it. But it wasn't just that. You then gave us then the recommendations and the referrals on what actually made up that source of truth. So off the back of that, we then started working with 8x8, which is native to Bullhorn. Yeah, you did, yeah, yeah. We then looked at how our IT systems should be natively integrated with Bullhorn. And then actually looking at our IT provider, whether or not they are experienced within the Bullhorn ecosystem and knowledge of how to put it in there. Because for me personally, if we didn't go with the right partner on IT, who are not natively understanding CRMs and databases, that's going to start costing us money. So, so I guess what I bring to the equation is I've walked that path many, many times. Um, and I'm a great believer in keeping it simple mm -hmm. as well. So in terms of your source of truth, yes, you've got one central CRM solution, um, which is going to act as your source of truth from a physicality point of view, your, your, your software point of view. But you've got every service and workflow built around that, that source of truth. To create and, automations. Yeah, to create automations, but also to simplify it for your, your, your internal customers, your, your employers at the end of the day, um, which is super, super important. Um, and you do get, I mean, I, I've sat in front of enough, enough, enough people these days where it's very easy to have a conversation about technology and say, look, you want this and you want this and you want this and you want this. But actually, what's actually mean to you as a business and what are you going to get out of it? Because I was taught very early on in my career, you've got to be agnostic. There's no religion in technology. It's like you do what's right for the business. Mm. You make sure that the piece of software or the service or the integration is fit for purpose. Um, and not a fancy of technology because technologists can get really wrapped up in their own, own BS at some point. You want to be doing this and this because it's sort of super wicked and super cool. Well, actually, no. Can I ask you, 
I think I, they want that to happen because they don't want to pay for it themselves and they'd rather have someone else try it to see if it fails. Would you, oh, what, from a technology point of view? Yeah, so everything is so shiny. They go, I've got this brand new product and they go, I think it'd be really good for your business. They don't want to pay for it so they'd rather shove it in yours to cost you the bloody money to prove the point. Yeah. And if it doesn't work, you go, oh, I knew that wouldn't work. Yeah, that's powerful. Is that true? Uh, to, to some extent, but I'd like to hope and like to think they're up front with you in that conversation. Well, they're fucking not. Yeah, well... <laughs> Can't possibly comment. Um, there are some rogues out there. And this is what I'm talking from an owner's point of view, mm. where money is not unlimited. Yeah. The, the, the way of working could be a real failure and could really put the businesses under stress yes. if the decision's made wrong. Yes. And I think, and I think that's where, I'm not blowing smoke up your arse, is that you kept it really to the point and the common sense was put into the conversation rather than here's a new flashy gadget. I think that would really work well within this. It was taken to the strip back of, is it native to what you're buying as your source of truth? Mm. Yes or no? No. Okay, well, is there an alternative within the ecosystem of, say, Bullhorn, which is what we went with, that is? I'll go and find that for you, which you did. Tick. Right. Job done. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, absolutely. And the, what's lovely about the technology space now and the, and the product space now is there's lots and lots of ecosystems and also um, partnerships, shall we say, where you can leverage one product to another product to another product. And they all know each other from a relationship point of view as well. Mm-hmm. So um, that's easier than, than it's ever been. Okay. Um, what I do get nervous about is we've had a couple of clients in the past when people have gone in there and said, right, okay, here's a system they've shown them and they've gone through the target operator model with them and they said, right, okay, replace the whole lot. And suddenly they've, they've delivered in uh, system A, system B, system C. And there's no conversation about what these things, how these things work in, in harmony together. Because mm-hmm. ultimately you don't really care about the technology. No. It's just a, it's just a, just a, it's just a, it's just an enabler to your business. What you want is a result over here. And what I get nervous about, and I've been caught out about this in the past, is you, you go down this lovely journey of um, this is the next thing since sliced bread, but no one really explains to you in your early career that it's, it's, a, it's a chocolate teapot in, in that instance. No one's going to use it, no one's going to adopt it because it's not tied into your overall strategy. It's not part of your source of truth at the end of the day. It just sits there as an orphan piece of technology for 10 years and cost cost, costing, costing your business a small fortune. And then you go through the next stage where... Um, especially if you go through evolutions of your business and you bring more people on board, it kind of yeah, it gets orphaned again, but everyone's too nervous to turn it off because it does something for, for John or Jill in, a, yeah. in another part of the business. So you can find businesses sort of, sort of collecting technology um, really, really quickly. I think where we've done it badly ourselves in a period is that RC saying shiny, I've done it myself. Lucky I'm not too big a value. But the point is that you buy it, and unless you can explain it to people within five minutes, mm. people get very switched off. Or you bring in technologies we've seen before, and it's given to the business, and they're expected just to run with it with absolutely no concept or context of mm. why it works for them in the business. Yeah, but that comes down to user adoption and, and your communication inside your organisation. Yeah, but um, if we don't know what we're buying, how the hell are we meant to communicate it? Yeah, and we but, see that a lot. Yeah, but it's like how you and I worked. It's if you strip it all the way back. So what's really interesting? You ask businesses to describe, especially um, 
what I've been really interested to watch in the last sort of two years, when you say, can you describe your business to me? And maybe I'm not articulate well for 17, but, but it's what's your target operating model? Where are you heading towards? And how's that map against your operational space and your technology um, requirements? And you often find really bright entrepreneurial, sorry, really bright entrepreneurial people with wonderful organisations, and it's kind of happening organically in the back of their head. So, the challenge you then have from an operations technology point of view is how do you map that? How do you map that against someone? So again, going through this papers and crane sort of exercise, it, it brings it all out, and you can formalise it in, in, in documentation afterwards, um, which then allows you to start. Um, articulating the, the, the technical requirements to the business, which should feel natural to the end consumer of the technology. So when you start communicating why you're doing the source of truth inside your organisation, it's like, oh, I get that, I understand mm. that. It's linked into this of what we're doing in the business. Yeah. Um, they won't care about or wish to understand why you're linking in your, your, your phone solutions or your, um, some of your AI or mm. some of your, your future P&L stuff. And that's not for now, but they'll understand why you're trying to work from a from a from a harmonious harmonious. Yeah, you know what I'm trying to say yeah, from yeah. from a from an organisation point of view. And then, just as a side note, the I've always learned that if you can make the process and the technology as simple as possible, and to your point, intuitive as possible, adoption just goes through the roof. Um, if it feels natural to them. I have, I have this phrase called still with pride. Okay. So if people are used to using Facebook, how they log on, and, or they're used to using Word or Excel or Microsoft, well, make it feel like Word or Microsoft mm -hmm. Excel. They're just going to jump onto it and understand. And more importantly, they're not going to feel fear by experimenting and playing with it as well. Yeah. I'm going to break this. I'm going to do that. I don't quite know how to do this. Well, it kind of feels natural. Just, just, just do it. Just do it. Um, and it's that kind of passive communication and passive education that really helps so from i see a lot in a lot of the group chats i'm in with owners in different uh setups i'm involved in mm. and every other question is the question about have you tried this database how do you find it and how does it work so from a owner perspective going okay i'm with a current database it's legacy it needs updating. What's the first parts would you start with? So not the database or technology. So what, what I've found over the, over the years is it, A, it could be the adoption, and B, it could be the processes. So most databases do most things this day and age. Um, and sometimes it's not the technology that's a challenge. It's the way that it's been delivered into the organization and the way you have people working through it. And I've got this kind of saying, it's that you'll walk into any firm and they'll say, oh, my CRM is shit, right? And what they want you to do is get you another CRM, <laughs> from a red one to a blue one to a pink one to a green one, right? Okay. But if you don't get the processes right and the adoption right, you're just papering over the cracks. You're yeah. going to have the same conversation in two years' time and wasted yeah. a shitload of cash. So go back to roots. Understand, we call it the as is to be story. So how are you working today and how's that affecting you today? Because you might find your, your, your current technology solution is actually fit for purpose. Mm -hmm. um, and you're maybe giving your technology supplier, your product supplier, a hard time yeah. when you should be looking inwards. And if you can get that all wrapped up, when you move into your next evolution 
and you feel confidence internally, then you'll make the right decisions, you'll yeah. ask the right questions. So the first thing is to look at how you operate as, a, as an organization, not the technology. I don't care if I'm being quite, I mean, I, I work in the technology world, but I don't care if it's red, blue, green, or orange. Mm. It's just gonna be right for you. Yeah. So let's understand you, and then we'll apply. And even better, if that current piece of technology in-house or out-house actually works for you, and we can adjust you slightly, happy days. You've not bought any more technology. No. You may be enhancing it with other products, other services to look at how you use information differently or um, yeah, make uh, slicker workflows or whatever it may be. Automation and connectivity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, look at, the, look at the human element in the first, first instance. Okay, so that's quite an interesting lead on to, you said the words AI earlier on. There's a lot of... Uh, conversations going around LinkedIn and obviously in the market in general recruitment in the whole world about obviously chat GPT and AI and how it's inf uh, influencing how we're going to obviously look to recruit people and remove humans what's your views on that um, oh crumbs that's a big wide open open subject isn't let's it let's take it as, uh, as recruitment for, for a point of view of how you find and how you're hired in the future I think it's going to be interesting to see sort of from a, a research point of view and from a documentation point of view um, and an education point of view. It's never been easier to pull information together using ChatGPT or other services. So um, you can look on the face of it very proficient very, very, very quickly. So I think you've got some challenges coming up seeing through that. Okay. So it's almost fake it till you make it. Here's my, you can produce some, I mean... Uh, I'm sure Jack ChatGPT can make documentation far, far better than I can. Mm -hmm. So it, it's you've got to see beneath that or, or behind it, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you've got to find the, the individuals you, you're, you're working with. Um, in terms of the recruitment processes, then obviously the, the research element will be uh, impacted in a, in a positive way because I think you'll get there quicker okay. uh, as far as that's concerned. Um, well, I think we've found at the moment is that What's quite interesting is that, let's be fair, I've got, I've got teenage kids like yourself. Mm. And uh, you, you're, if I had it when I was younger to do my coursework, I'd be using it all day long to give me the right answers really quickly. Yeah. Or give me the, 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 the steer or the right way to it without having to think. What we're finding as well is that people are now getting better at lying about their backgrounds because obviously they can get created very quickly. Yeah, but think of it from the different ways. It's like the next stage from, from internet searching, isn't it, at the end of the day? So historically, dare I say it with enough grey hair, if you wanted to go and research, I learned TCP IP back in the day, it's a fucking great big book, right, literally, and you, you, you try and learn it and whatever. Oh, yeah, I remember the Cisco one, CCNA, CCIP, and all it was that. Like, and everybody now Googles it, mm -hmm. and you get it that much quicker. Um, ChatGPT is, is the next one on from that. But what it also does is it gives you the articulation of it as well. So rather than just researching mm -hmm. it, you articulate it. Here's the articulation of it, and it puts you in a paragraph or gives you some sense around it. So it's just a, it's just a, a, um, it's just a step in the, in, the, in the current direction, if that, in, in my head. That, that's the way it sits. Um, and if you talk to my kids, and they're at university now, um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, the guys who are on the leading edge and using ChatGPT to, to help them with their coursework, Fair play. They're, they're mini entrepreneurs in the network. They, they, they're working the system, whatever. But it's catching up. They're, they're mm. writing technology to understand what's being produced by the individual creatively rather than chat GPT or other services out there. And it will never be perfect. It will be a science rather than, it will be an art rather than a science. Um, but I kind of like that. It's mm -hmm. that kind of tussle. 
And if we didn't have it, we, how would we push ourselves forward? Yeah. How would we? How would we? How would we? How would we change the next piece that's coming over? So I, I, I had a good chat with some friend of mine who does a lot of wreck to wreck, and he said all these technologies are doing is those who are smarter than the others will get there quicker. Yeah, but that's Darwin. I appreciate that, but that's what I mean. So I, I see recruitment. Let's be honest, we're not brain surgeons. We are. Hell of a lot of us are purely how much more common sense have we got to the next person and how can we find that way of the next talent quicker than the next yeah and i believe if we can use a technology to do the grunt for us for us to then make the sensible decisions as a human to human perspective hiring yeah brilliant well it's something about the researchers so i mean historically if you take it back a few years you had, you had banks and banks of really bright people doing mm-hmm. lots of research um books, contacts, black books back in the day, then the internet, then LinkedIn. Yeah. And slowly but surely, that's all getting automated in one way or another. It still needs someone on the other end to make sense of it at this point in time. So from a, from a logistics and grunt piece, absolutely. It's, it's still on that evolution, without doubt. Okay. So what's the, other than AI and chat GPT and automation, what do you see as the next big thing within... HR and recruitment technologies, or in in the in the wider world, what's the next big thing in your view? Oh crumbs! From a from a from a well, it's all about AI at the moment, isn't it? I mean, that's 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 how that's evolving. Oh god! Or is there anything? So uh, well, let me let me let me pause for a second on this. Uh, the bits I'm in, and this is this is a side side thing. It's. Autonomy, I think, is the way I'd go down the route of. So I do love, um, and this is you have to cut and slice this in, and we'll we'll talk about property in a second. But the, so the automation piece with ChatGPT and other services is going to is going to simplify the mundane task. It goes back to Six Sigma, doesn't it? We're going to we're going to automate the mundane and, and focus on the on the uh, the interesting stuff. So the 80-20 rule will become more pronounced. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think with, with these automation tools and AI tools, I'm hoping they're gonna help us evolve slightly further, yeah. free up the time to, to be more creative in recruitment or HR. Think of things in different ways, for example, how you obtain new talent, attract yeah. new talent, how do you, whatever. I think that, that that's- So getting back to actually being a human. Yeah, so it's it's like every it's like it's sort of like all walks of life, isn't it? It's like eighty percent of your day is 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 keeping your head above water, and the other twenty percent is really pushing forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that's gonna. I think we're on a tipping point where that twenty percent will start increasing. Yeah. So our evolution from an industry or as an individual, we're gonna have that much more time to be creative to think. Does that, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. so actually solving more problems than actually giving them to ourselves. Yeah. So you, as, as, a, as a business owner, you'll be able to sit down and go, right, okay, we've done it like this for the last 20 years, and it's worked really successfully, and we've, we've, we've made incremental changes, etc. But actually, is there a step change coming up we've not mm. really thought about? And I've always said that I think professional services and recruitment in particular are on that cusp of a significant step change. I thought it was about eight years ago. 
but I think it's it's the next five years thereabouts. In the same way that the the banking and financial industry went through a step change with online banking mm-hmm. and and retail going, so I think there's a there's a step coming through here, um, and that will evolve in the next next few years. That's going to be super exciting to see. I think. Okay. Um, me me personally, I think there's a lot of work and energy. I think that's going to be the next thing for us to keep our obviously the light switched on. Yeah, I think this this whole thing around uh, and this is not to do with this, but um, Battery technology is absolutely amazing at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think hydrogen is amazing technology at this point in time. I think we're going to have. Um, let me just let me just phrase this in my head. So it's almost like if you take the utility services uh, where we've got our oh crumbs. Sorry, bear with me a second. It's it does mirror it mirrors technology. So when technology first started, it was all centralised, mainframes, etc., blah de blah de blah. And then we ended up with this distributed network and cloud-based technology, where we're all isolated, etc., and we can do our own thing. So we're not we're not centralised. Um, ironically, with new data lakes coming on board, you could argue that we're, we're heading back into that neck of the woods. A bit like music, it all comes around, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think there's a, a lot of stuff with utilities at the moment where we've we've had. Utility type services, power, electric, etc., being centralised, and I think the bit that I'm interested in watching myself is how that's getting decentralised. So how you run your business off grid is not the right word to use, but how you can be self-sustaining, self-sufficient, yeah. self-sufficient. I think that's that's a personal interest of mine. At the end of the day, I think one of the coolest things I've seen recently, which makes again going back to common sense, hmm. is why is not every open air car park covered with solar panels french the french are doing it aren't they it's just being rolled out all over the place at the moment yeah, yeah. why why a car park that's got 300 spaces hasn't got 300 charging points for electric cars hmm. which is self-serviced by the solar panels which is covering the whole car park keeping it cool and self-generating for itself and more importantly it's mind-blowing right simple S- simple easy equation and the extra value in there stops bird shit on your car <laughs> <laughs> so we just ruined one industry, but we self-sufficiently yeah, uh, charged the cars, kept up the electricity yeah. uh, supply for that local area. Yeah, because it's open space; it's wasted ground. True. Let me ask you a question. Go on. So, from a technology point of view, um, what has been your frustrations when growing your organisation? And, and being mindful that um, we always have to be mindful about P&L and budgets, etc. Yeah, yeah. What's, been, what's been that one thing that's... The, uh, the ability for systems purchased to be amended without the need of a developer mm. or um, cost of additional humans to actually do it. If that makes sense. Yeah, no, it does. So where the word uh, SaaS, obviously, that started getting thrown around, what, five years ago yeah, plus? I'm, yeah, a few years from, ago. Now, yeah. From your point, you were known for a lot longer and you probably yeah. were known for something else. Yeah. But for the ability for the technology to actually adapt with the changing conditions mm. is where I think if you talk to anyone in recruitment who have been in a certain business for a long time with the single database, mm. it's generally been sat on a hard drive somewhere. Mm. It's been in-house. It's never been cloud-based. And yeah. then the fear and perception of going cloud-based, that normally says cost, time, 
and are we going to lose all our data? So break into two things. One is, I mean, if you host it in a cloud or, or a physical USB, that's the physical hosting side, and there's pros and cons to both. But that's, but I think what you're talking about is the the. Um, you typically used to buy a piece of software, mm -hmm. you shove it on a CD-ROM, yep. you install it, and 15 years later, you might do it again. Correct. Um, yesteryear, without a shadow of that. And some, let's be honest, um, some recruitment professional services firms are still in that vibe. It kind yep. of works for us, it's all okay. Um, typically SaaS-based organizations, SaaS-based products. What does SaaS stand for? Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> God. No, don't say that to me. That's like SaaS and PaaS. It's uh, service, oh, oh, service as a... Oh, software as a service. Sorry, there you go. Software as a service. Software as a service. Oh, God. And then, yeah. It's a good one, isn't it? Just caught you out there. Yeah, yeah. So for everyone Brent. who's listening to this or watching this, Adam has a hangover today. He was out at Ascot <laughs> yesterday and didn't get home till 2 a.m. Yeah. I got a cheeky message from him saying, uh, are we still meeting at 10 o'clock tonight? I went, yes. Okay. But I made you a bacon sandwich. You did make me a bacon sandwich. <laughs> and we've drunk coffee. We've drunk coffee. So if, uh, if that has thrown you... It's yeah. sat in your brain somewhere. Yeah, and to be fair, before we, we went into this, we, we discussed how simple things like remembering people's names that you've been mm. around for 20 years is becoming harder. Yeah. I, I, big for me. Yeah. Sorry, we digressed. No, 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 that's all right. It's but cool. SAS, cool. we've got to that point. Yeah, yeah. But then, um, yeah, what, we, what we've got to get used to is incremental changes. Mm. So um, big change, software one, two, three, yeah, four. Yeah. But you want it to be done quarterly. And you want okay. the, the, the owners of the, the platform or the, the software to be moving it forward continuously. And it comes back to the trust piece. Yeah. And to your point about not having developers working for you, I mean, in certain organizations where you want to be a bit more, yes, get developers involved and start tweaking and understanding how you're going to differentiate yourself from a top-line point sure. of view than the bottom line. But um, in most organizations, no, it's, it's low-code, no-code configuration, um, your your supplier should be going, hey, listen, there's a new piece of technology coming out that we're bringing into our system. Would you like to have a look at it and, yeah. and form an opinion on it for us? That'd be yeah. fantastic. And move you forward slowly. It's almost like dripping new services into you at a rate that you can consume to enhance enhance your business. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that's where I think the problem with, I talk from a small business point of view, which we are, is that, as you've highlighted earlier, we are everything to everything. And we're, we're the one person to everything and to everyone. So we've got, uh, and as we go out to 80-20 split, yeah. my brain is 80% all the time on the business. Yeah. And I've only got 20% capacity to obviously probably think about what you do as a business and mm. flip it the other way around. You're 80% technology, 20% everything else. Mm. And this is where finding a partner or something you can actually just pick the phone up to and just go, I don't get it, without then talking to you in a, a language that you're really not getting mm. and you do it and let's be fair we do it a lot in this world is we nod and go yeah I, I get that get off the corner and go I have no fucking idea what that's about I have no fucking idea yeah we call them nod nodding dogs and you, you, you have a and this goes back to the, again it comes back to the crayons put someone in a situation where they can feel comfortable asking a stupid question ask a few stupid questions yourself it's like I'm learning about you as much as you're learning about, mm. about me and you can sit in big boardrooms in the city and there's lots of guys in there. I mean, I have worn a suit in my life. And they're sitting there, and they're sitting there like a massive presentation going on, and everyone's doing this. Mm. Are they taking it in? Are they not a hope in hell. Not a hope in hell. And you end up in this false situation that everyone's sort of agreeing in the room. 
It's like, what have you agreed to? I don't fucking know. And before you know it, you're a couple of million quid in, and it's like, well, what have we delivered? Fuck all. Fuck and all. that's the problem. Fuck, fuck all. Um, so take that from a small business point of view, mm. two million quid is probably the turnover in some of these companies yearly. Mm. And we have budgets, budgets of maybe no idea. And that's the problem. We don't know how sometimes these things are going to cost out. Yeah. And that's where in the scary part, we go back to our, um, what is our biggest problems? Yeah. It's how far into it before it actually works. Yeah. Well, that's where you've got to be really careful. And this is where you've got to sit down and, and forget the technology piece for a bit and start talking about your business and understand where you're going, what your target operating model looks like and what the ROIs you're looking to achieve in, in, in the future. And actually then have a sensible conversation. Is that piece of technology right for you now? Mm. It's not going to serve you any purpose. It's, it's the old saying, isn't it? It's like you can spend $14 million taking a pen to, ten, pen to space or use a bloody pencil. <laughs> Doing the same thing at the end of the day. Um, and that's where sometimes technologists and people in my sort of roles sometimes get wrapped up in, this is really wicked. We can take a pen to, pen to the moon. But that 14 million quid, we could have spent that elsewhere. Grown something else, done something else, whatever it may be. Um, but it's horses for courses, I guess. So let's finish up. What is the future of 17 Oranges? Where do you want to be going forward as a business? Uh, it's, it's really simple. We, we, when we set out 17 Oranges, it's like we, we want to work with like-minded people, clients, um, we've got a culture of, um, oh, dare I say it, fun. It's like we enjoy what we do, which is, which is it's easier said than done sometimes. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to see 17 grow and scale and find some really cool clients to, to work with going forward and longer-term relationships. So is that UK and international or UK and predominantly? My whole world's been international up till, up till recently. So, yeah, we, I mean, we have international clients now. We've got okay. uh, guys and girls in, in Canada we just finished a major program in, in the US and we've worked with guys in, in, in Germany. So ironically, when we kicked off 17, we, we were purely international. It took us a while to get our UK clients. Um, so yeah, it'd be, I'd love it to see to a point where it's, it's scaled to a point where we're comfortable um, working internationally, more people on board. Um, yeah, all well, that kind of bollocks at the end. Yeah. <laughs> And that's probably a really good way to end. Yeah. So, Adam, how do we find you if we want to find out more about you and 17 Oranges? Uh, LinkedIn is an easy place to find me. And you're Adam, you're Adam Gibson? Adam Gibson. Adam M. Gibson. Uh, Matthew. Um, website, 17oranges.com. We'll, we'll, we'll find us one way or another. Um, I do have to change my picture on the LinkedIn, funnily enough. Midlife crisis, part 12, long hair. Now it's gone. I'm growing up again. Um, so I've got to, I've got to, that's the quickest way to find us. That's always very funny. Yeah. So thank you very much. More than welcome. Anytime. Awesome. Time.